0: Welcome to Historically Thinking, a podcast that's not only about the past and all its complexity, but also about how historians write history and how everyone can think about it. For more information about this or any episode, go to www.historicallythinking.org, where you can also sign up for our twice-a-month newsletter. Hello, at about 8 in the morning on March 22nd, 1622, warriors of the chiefdoms making up the Powhatan Confederacy attacked the settlements of the colony of Virginia. By nightfall, the devastating attacks had killed between a quarter and a third of the English settlers, destroyed many settlements and farms, including their food supplies, and forced the survivors to take shelter in fortified locations where they were unable to grow their food because of groups of warriors who continued on the attack. Suddenly, just when the colony had seemed to be on the verge of success, it was thrown back into the position where it had been 13 years before when it was just a few hundred people within the palisade surrounding the settlement of Jamestown under attack and on the verge of starvation. With me to explain the long life of the man who planned the attack of 1622 is James Horn, president and chief officer of the Jamestown Rediscovery Foundation, which is affiliated with Preservation Virginia, a private nonprofit organization and a leader in historic preservation. Horn is the author of numerous books from adapting to a new world, English society in the 17th century Chesapeake, which I have fond memories of reading 20 years ago in in the stacks uh, to (laughs) to his most recent, a brave and cunning prince, the great chief Opashankal and the war for America. And I should say that while this conversation will be about one of the most critical moments in the history of North America, and I do not say that lightly, and about one of its most fascinating unknown personalities, it's also a conversation in our continuing series on historical thinking. As you'll see, Horn's book deals with many questions of evidence, and evidence is the answer to the question, how do I know what I claim to know about my question? Also, as you'll see, that is a question that James Horn had to ask himself many times as he worked on this book. Jim Horn, welcome to Historically Thinking.
1: Thank you, yeah, pleasure to be here.
0: So, let's begin uh, with the 1622 attack, Mm -hmm. the beginning of the Second Anglo-Powhatan War. Mm -hmm and uh, if you could give some more detail and color to the very rough sketch I gave of yeah, you know, that, yeah, of that absolutely.
1: day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the English colony at this time um, stretched uh, along the James River Valley, so imagine uh, if, if you're taking a bird's eye view of what took place uh, on March 22nd 1622, imagine seeing many warriors in the er- early morning light moving towards plantations uh, then going into those plantations and into the households of uh, of the of the English people along the James River, and then suddenly falling upon their hosts with um, with their own weapons and with the tools and weapons of the colonists themselves. So this um, takes place simultaneously, as far as we know, uh, throughout the morning. Mm. Uh, and from one end of the James River up near Henrico, Richmond, where present day Richmond is, all the way down to uh, Kekatan, where um, now Fort Monroe is. So it's a, a massive, well planned, well organized, and synchronized attack on the entirety of the English colony or English ground in America on that single day. So this is about 50 miles long? This is nearer 120
0: 100. miles long. Yeah. And then about 30 to 50 miles wide, this area. Yeah. Because
1: uh, it's on the okay. south side of the James as well, plantations Absolutely. along there. Absolutely, yeah. So the plantations, <laughs> this is, the James River is, think of it as, as the high road of, mm-hmm. of the um, uh, shipping that would come in from London. Um, and in this time, of course, tobacco is the principal crop Tobacco is the first great English Atlantic staple, uh, most of it going back to London, some going to the Netherlands, um, but it's the high road for the the ocean-going ships. So that's why the plantations are distributed uh, along the James River, and that's also prime lands for Indian peoples. So as you have a large influx of colonists from around about 1618 through to 1622, and thereafter, actually. Um, they're taking up the lands of, of the Powhatan peoples, and this is what really causes the, 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 the basis of, of the conflict that took place uh, in the Second Powhatan War. So I, uh, your book is about the great chief. Opichan Canal. Have I got
0: the name? Because there's a lots of Algonquin proper names in the book, right? And uh, you've probably gotten used to this, but it's. But I I (laughs) realized at some point. about 10 years ago, that I've been all these names were only in my head. I guess the first time I had to teach about them,
1: yeah. Um, and yeah. I had
0: no idea how to actually pronounce them, yeah. so
1: but I think you're in good company because, yeah. uh, as you know, uh, Algonquian, that uh, there's no contemporary Algonquian speakers among the Indian peoples of Virginia today. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- w- I'd say we do our best, do so, our best for too. example, I, I say Opie Kankana, really based on phonetic mm-hmm. evidence. Um, and w- one of the things, Al, when we get to the evidence is thinking about how you deal with a situation where the uh, principal subject uh, did not write yep. anything himself because um, the Algonquist didn't have a written language. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know... We don't, we don't really know how the Algonquians would have pronounced his name. Yeah. The English, though, tended to, to side towards uh, Opikankano. Mm-hmm. So Opikankano, who is he in 1622?
0: What does it mean to be the great chief? Chief of what?
1: Uh, he is chief of, de facto chief, I'll condition this a bit, uh, because he had an elder brother, mm-hmm. uh, purportedly elder brother, who was the great chief of the paramount chiefdom uh, of um, of this region which stretched from the James River south side of the James River maybe further south actually all the way up to the shores of the Potomac mm-hmm. so th- this is an area that could have covered anywhere from 6 to 10,000 square miles uh, from the coastal areas to the Piedmont it's the it's the greatest chiefdom on the Mid Atlantic coast by 1622. And what did they call it? Uh, they called it mm-hmm. Um That's how I pronounce that. Yeah, that's uh, how I pronounce it. Or uh-huh. um, So a place of many peoples, or that's what we think it it, yeah. it it might mean. So, and
0: in that, and we're going to get to how it came about. There are many different. Tribes. So the English always refer to Opashan and to his br- his brother, his predecessor, and we'll get to him as well. Yeah. They refer to him as emperor, yeah. which I always thought. I mean, we can get to this, but sometimes when I realize the English understand the people they're confronting better than I do, mm-hmm. because they're applying sort of their early modern perspective to it, mm-hmm. and um, and sure. The emperor in Germany is as foreign to me as Opichan canal in many ways. <laughs> right. But what they see is yeah. um, they know yeah. the German emperor is elected yeah. and that he's elected by people who might not like him, yeah. uh, C.F. Charles V and the Frederick of Saxony. Yeah. Um, and uh, that the emperor of Germany is, is, is sort of the elected king of many different principalities. Yeah. And so that's what they see going on around them. And they're not completely wrong.
1: Not completely wrong, um, but but it's uh, it's also a dynasty, Uh uh, and um, and that plays into the formation of of the.
0: The Habsburgs
1: thought they were too. Yeah, that's (laughs) probably the case. (laughs) Um, But it may the chieftain may have been uh, may have come together Uh um, as a consequence of of two dynasties, one on the James River. The great chief Powhatan, who was the predecessor of Opechancanough, and then the um, tribes and peoples of the York River Pamunkey, as they called it, mm-hmm. um, aligned with uh, Opechancanough and, and his forebears. So, uh, it, it, there's there's a the evidence is slim mm-hmm. for, for for this, but my sense is that there's there are two major Epicenters, if you like, of peoples that came together to to, to form the uh, the great paramount chiefdom of Senecamaka. But and by about 1620, I don't know if you said this. There are about what thirty different
0: tribal groups yeah. in Senecamaka. Yeah,
1: yeah, somewhere between uh, maybe thirty-two and thirty-four. Mm. Uh, we're talking about just just the Powhatan alone, maybe fifteen thousand. Uh, men, w- women, and children, 5,000 warriors possibly. Yeah. Um, and, and then when you get into the Piedmont, there are different peoples there who are Sue. The, and the Powhatan are Algonquian, and that's a distinctive uh, linguistic group that, that you find all the way from um, New, New England all the way down uh, the coast through, uh, through North Carolina, say. Um, Sioux peoples that have a have a different language, completely different Completely plan, different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So,
0: um, yeah. and they, those Monacan peoples are the the unremitting enemies of the Palhat-
1: Powhatan peoples. Yes. Yeah yeah. 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 They are, and Powhatan talks about at the fall of the leaf, they 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 come mm-hmm. down from the Piedmont to raid. Uh, his people's settlements. So that's where you find more of the palisaded uh, townships like and there are two main Powhatan's here. There's Powhatan the town there's Powhatan the chief. Powhatan the river? Powhatan the river. And He takes his name again in a sort of royal way it's like being the Duke of
0: Marlborough. He takes his name from the Town where apparently he was born, perhaps or apparently, the river yeah. or yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd say from from the town. Yeah, um, and uh, who knows where the river? Yeah, right. Maybe that. Let's. So that's.
0: And how about how many English are in Virginia in 1622 when the war begins? With this? Probably about 1,200. 1,200. Yeah, five thousand warriors. 1,200 English men, women, and children. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we see, we see, there's still there's a, a yeah
1: <laughs> there's a difference in numbers. Yeah, so. you have to, um, and one of the reasons I, I, I wrote the book was um, to give the view from the other side of the Palisade, That is how the Indian peoples of, mm-hmm. of Makar saw this group of English people. And so think of it as uh, certainly in the very early years when. It's pretty much just Jamestown um, and James Fort that that, um, that that represents the entirety of the English settlement. It's it's uh, this small community in this in Indian country, mm-hmm. and and that's uh, I think the settlers were well aware of that. The colonists were aware of that, um, and we should be aware of it too because the overwhelming number of people living in what the English called Virginia, were Indian people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they've expanded greatly beyond
0: James Fort, which is actually, I should say, where we're sitting right now, which is very very exciting. Yep. Um, but they've expanded greatly, but they're like, um, drop of ink in the glass of water yeah there's and there's still Jamestown as I understand it yeah. it's still what three four six hundred people or less less than less that, that three yeah. but it's yeah. but it still is like a twenty yeah. yeah. percent of the entire population of yeah. Virginia is located yeah. here on this peninsula where we're sitting
1: yeah yeah um, just just to orientate ourselves Jamestown is about 50 miles from from the Chesapeake mm-hmm. Bay uh, and um, upriver uh, to the west is a place called Hembricus. That's another center of population up there. And then downriver, towards the mouth of the Chesapeake, uh, towards the mouth of the James River, entering into the Chesapeake Bay, is mm-hmm. Um As I say, now uh, Fort, Fort Monroe. Hampton, but, Fort Monroe. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, th- thank goodness, because
0: it's really, that's the. The native name I find most difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah <good> <laughs> I, balk at, I balk at the gate when I come to that one. Um, so let's go back. Oh, right. to, let's switch perspectives. Yeah. Um, you begin the book not by talking about Opicencono, but um, someone named Don Luis.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and you begin very cinematically with him being led through the gate of the Alcazar of Madrid. Yeah. So could you describe that scene uh, and describe Don Luis? Yeah.
1: Um, We know that he was probably about 14 or 15, Um, he's certainly someone who must have picked up the language pretty quickly, Um, so I would judge a highly intelligent young man. Uh, uh, He was reputed to be the the son or brother of the major chief of, of uh, of Virginia. Uh, He was captured by a group of Spanish mariners who came into the Chesapeake Bay in uh, 1561 Uh, and that was the first ship, Spanish ship in the Chesapeake Bay for many many years. So it's almost like the rediscovery of the Chesapeake Bay and they took him back. The reason I think he's very important to them is they immediately decided to leave the American waters and sailed back to, to Europe, so that they could introduce um, this Indian youth, his Indian name Pachikaneo, um, to, to the king, Philip II. So this is, this is quite remarkable, and, you, uh, and when I first came across it I was thinking, well what would be their motive, why would they, why would they want to do that? Um, So they're obviously seeking that the captain, um, Antonio Velazquez, is looking to gain the patronage of Philip II of Spain, uh, for his own benefit, of course, but, but to claim the discovery of the Chesapeake Bay, and then what might follow from that.
0: So, his presence, the presence of Paquequineo, Don Luis, initiates an enterprise. Yes. A further enterprise in the sort of Spanish Empire, bulging out a little bit at yeah. the edge. Um, so, yeah. what is that
1: enterprise? It's the enterprise of, of the settlement of North America. Now, um, we're familiar with the great conquests of Mexico or Peru, seen from a Spanish perspective, um, the Portuguese in Brazil. Um, so much of the Spanish exploration had been in middle to South America. They've been trying to create settlements in North America uh, for about 50 years, without success. So it's not until uh, four years after uh, Pequiquineo Don Luis is taken from Virginia. Uh, that the first settlement is established, Saint Augustine, and even that was uh, the result of a conflict between the Spanish and French. Mm-hmm. The French had had a, an earlier settlement for Caroline. Not just French, French Huguenots. French so, Huguenots. That makes it du- doubly problematic. In, 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 that's absolutely right, and of course Huguenots Protestants. So uh, this was part of the issue for Philip II, who was fighting on many fronts in Europe against heresy. Uh, he's the great Catholic king who will unite Christendom once again, um, reverse the, the schism that had taken place with, with the Reformation and uh, Protestant international Protestantism. So his idea was to make absolutely certain that um, heretics would not end up in in North America, no more, than, uh, no more than they would in South America. Mm-hmm. America then, the whole of the Americas was to be Hispanic, either Spanish or Portuguese, it was more importantly meant to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. So they
0: begin to establish a, a string of settlements along the coast. Yeah, there's one I think pretty close to the what's now the officers' golf course at Paris Island. That's correct on uh, Saint Hel- Saint Hel- Helens Island, Beaufort Island. Yeah. I forget Paris uh, Par- Paris Island, yeah. um, and uh, one of these will be a Jesuit mission in the Chesapeake Bay. Um, what is uh, when does when is that Jesuit mission established, and uh, what has Pacquiao been doing up until that time?
1: Yeah, so by this time, Pakekineo, um has been uh, given the name of Don Luis um, de Velasco, who was the um, viceroy of New Spain, i.e., Mexico, mm-hmm. including Cuba at that time. So. I mention this because it, it was a great honour that, that he should be named for the Viceroy. And the, the period I'm talking about here is just a few months after he'd arrived in Madrid, walked through the gates of the great royal fortress palace of the Alcazar. Um, and yet he had impressed the king, Philip II, who's a pretty worldly and intelli- intelligent person. Um, to such a degree that Philip saw in him the opportunity to um, convert Indian peoples in North America, and hence the name of Don Luis. Don Luis, the viceroy, was seen as friend of the Indians. That's, that was his his uh, subruque, uh, in Mexico, at least. So um, the um, he had attempted to go back to the Chesapeake in 1562. Mm. Uh, That failed. He he ended up in Mexico City because his namesake and godfather, Don Luis the Viceroy, wanted to speak with him and uh, find out more about him himself. So so there begins this 10-year, more or less, decade of wandering the Spanish Atlantic from his point of view, trying to find a way to get back to the Chesapeake and using religion as the major uh, leverage. So he um, converted to Catholicism at a Dominican uh, convent in Mexico City. He's living in Mexico City in the 1560s. That's only 40 years after the conquest. Mm -hmm. So they're still building the um, cathedrals uh, from the rubble of the Aztec pyramids mm-hmm. at this time. He's learning about the Indian peoples round and about. He's seeing them subjugated as, as if not enslaved, certainly close to it in, in some areas, forced labour and, and um, the all the offices of state, all the profit is going to the, to the Spanish. He sees all this mm-hmm. and that's important uh, to him uh, in later life in my view very important he sees what conquest he sees the face of conquest um, in mexico city and roundabout but then he um, returns to uh, spain uh, in the 15 in the mid 1560s and is kind of hoping to to get another opportunity to to go back to America and that's when he begins to um, find support from the Jesuits a Jesuit house in Seville as it happens Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that decide he should return to America with them with the uh, intention of setting up a a mission and then what happens? well uh, he, he so Recall here that he's taken in 1561. He returns to the Chesapeake Bay in 1570 um, with the with nine Jesuits and a novice, um, a boy called Alonso, um, who's the altar boy, I think, and um, they sail up the James River. Um, My interpretation is they sailed to the Chickahominy River, which is about halfway up the James River, uh, and establish a mission inland from the Chickahominy, not far from territories that were controlled by the Pamunkey. That's an important point that I'll come back to when we get to the evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, within six months, seven months of their arrival, he... um, he leads a attack on the mission and kills all of the Jesuits apart from the boy Alonso, um, and reputedly with their own axes uh, that he'd been or hatchets that they'd, he'd been given to uh, work. With them initially, that's a nice point, which is significant and
0: which you will have to get back to. I hadn't, I hadn't <laughs> yeah, realized yeah. that yeah we yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, didn't make it that uh, that the line wasn't drawn underneath that right uh, yeah. enough for me. Um, yeah. So Alonzo somehow survives uh, this uh, by climbing up a tree. Uh, and I how does... Well, anyway. But uh, a few months later, a year later, uh, d- is it uh, Don Pedro uh, yeah. Men- Menendez? Yeah. There, yeah. yeah. Um, the viceroy of, of Florida, yeah. the founder of St. Augustine. Yeah. He yeah. sails yeah. into the Chesapeake, yeah. um, somehow finds Alonso, probably kills all the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, and the Spanish then decide uh, in revenge, and then the Spanish decide, eh, we'll give
1: this a miss. Yeah. Um, Essentially, I think... The, the, the vision Menendez um, plays a really important role here in, in the attempt to settle this part of the mid-Atlantic coast. And you've alluded to it, a string of garrisons. And the uh, modus operandi that he adopted was usually to get soldiers in there, but then get the religious houses involved, Dominicans, Franciscans, or Jesuits, Um, involved to convert the people. So he's committed to conversion also. He's following the uh, ambitions of his his king, Philip II. Um, But these these string of garrisons begin to fail owing to Indian attacks during the the 1570s. So the failure of the Jesuit mission in, in the Chesapeake is really the beginning of a series of um, withdrawals, if you like, from these, these small Spanish uh, garrisons along that Florida coast. They called it, they called the whole coast from Florida to uh, South Carolina up to the Chesapeake. They called all of it Spanish Florida. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's, it, it's not that uh, Opie Kankano and his uh, fellow warriors wipe out. Um, I've given the game away there. Actually, oh, uh, Don Luis. About to get to there, uh, and his fellow warriors. Um, it's not. It's not that eight, killing eight or nine Jesuits was so devastating to the Spanish that they decided never to return. But but combined with the failure of of these other garrisons, so it's ultimately only San Augustine is left mm-hmm. by the 1580s. So you did give the game away, but I was just about to give the game away at some
0: point after this story of the the failed Jesuit mission, you reveal to us. I'm not sure you did this very cleverly. I'm not sure I can I couldn't tell you where in the book mm. that Don Luis Pakakineo yeah, I I think carefully about yeah. that transition. I bet you did. <laughs> is is in your opinion Obicancano? Yeah, yeah. Um, which has been suggested before, and we're going to get to the evidence eventually for this, but moving forward then, Don Luis Pacquicino, Opican Canal, Powhatan's brother, um, he then has a feeling of déjà vu all over again, apparently, when three English ships sail into the Powhatan River, what we call the James River now, in 1607. What's, what are his initial relationships with the English uh, from, say,
1: 1607 yeah. to... I, 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 I will get to that, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. g- I'm going to try and be brief about this, yeah. but but in hindsight, we know the Spanish didn't return, right. uh, apart from, from the uh, punitive mission of Menendez in 1572. But, but neither Powhatan nor uh, Don Luis uh, Opecancano could possibly know that. Right. In fact, all the indicators were that they'd come back and mm-hmm. maybe come back with more ships, right? more settlers. So that,
0: that's right. And, I,
1: and so this leads then to,
0: as you said, what you describe as, I, I jumped ahead of myself, the most important political development in the mid-Atlantic region in the 16th century. Yeah. I would say the most important political development maybe in North America, maybe in the Atlantic, one of the most important political yeah. developments in the Atlantic world.
1: I'd say.
0: Uh, because it, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, when you start to tease it apart, you realize yeah. how much
1: is yeah. influenced by this, what happens next. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point because I should have amplified that yeah. even more. Probably. I think you should have. Yeah. 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 Because the rapidity of it, yeah. the success of that chiefdom, the process um, itself means that the, the Powhatan and the constituent peoples of the core areas. It became a war regime. Yes. Uh, And uh, so I was reminded at times. We're we're talking
0: about the the foundation of the Powhatan, what we call the Powhatan Confederacy, this this empire. Paramount chiefdom. Paramount chiefdom, yeah. Yeah, In which uh, a war regime uh, very swiftly, uh, brilliantly, ruthlessly, uh, like any other European, like any European War of Conquest and Subjugation takes over these, what we said, 34 different separate chieftains and and groups, tribes in this area. Thousands of warriors,
1: tens of thousands, scores of uh, thousands of people were impacted by this development from from the peoples of the Roanoke Roanoke region, the Lost Colony region, Mm -hmm. all the way into the Piedmont. They're all impacted um, right up to the Potomac River. So the formation of, of the paramount chieftain ultimately would, and the rapidity with which it came together, would, would prove a hindrance to holding it together with, under English attack. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll come onto to that.
0: Well, it has many similarities actually to the situation in the Central Valley of Mexico yeah uh, and just yeah. as a as a political thing yeah. you've created yeah. you create a paramount chiefdom yeah you create this empire yeah uh not all the people have been subjugated uh, yeah. i mean, i mean some for some of them it's as simple as Powtan getting a bride from the tribe yeah. and then impregnating her, and yeah. then you've created a, a link
1: yeah absolutely uh, I mean, other
0: it's... others it's it kills them all, yeah
1: yeah. You know, no. And in some cases, men, women, and children, Yeah, which is unusual. Yeah. Usually it's the warriors, yep. uh, and, and the women and children are taken and absorbed into the into the tribe. But in some cases, it would if he felt a particular threat like he did from the Chesapeake people, he will wipe out all of them. If, if, if some, there's some reason why they must not exist anymore on the earth. There's a, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, and typically they were peoples near the mouths of, of the major rivers. Which seems well, significant. It, it's tactical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. It, at least to my mind, it yeah. is. So so there is the threat of the return of the Spanish. Okay, you could say that was maybe fading after five, six, seven years. But then, of course, the English turn up uh, um, on Roanoke Island, mm-hmm. um, 100 miles to the south or so from, from the Chesapeake Bay. But... Um, and the core of the of chiefdom but nevertheless near enough mm-hmm. um, and another aspect of this is Indian peoples had sophisticated communication lines they knew w- what had gone on for much further south down to Georgia and, and beyond they knew about Spanish mm. down there they didn't know as well as hopeikankano uh, but they knew and they knew about the English from peoples that they were in contact with, not, not only uh, uh, on Roanoke Island, but inland too. So was there going to be a threat from another group of European invaders as early as the 1580s? So in my view, it was imperative that, uh, which accounts for the speed of the formation of, of this chieftain, it was imper- imperative that they form this alliance amongst themselves to fend off European invaders. So we've got this picture then of Powhatan,
0: um, paramount chief, with his brother, elder younger? We don't really know the uh,
1: there's relationship. There's some suspicion he was actually older.
0: So acting as his sort of, you know, warlord, yeah, eminence, war Greece, yeah. um, you know, advisor yeah. with this,
1: yeah. on the basis of 10 years of intimate experience of the European ways. Yeah. He is, uh, and this is a theory that's been developed by historians um, and that uh, I subscribe to, uh, he was the war chief. Mm-hmm. So he, he's the one involved in taking action against uh, intruders, uh, such as the English of uh, Roanoke, uh, or um, looking at f- kind of what we'd call foreign diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So what is his diplomatic posture? after the
0: creation of Jamestown. They allow the creation of Jamestown to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, and one of the, perhaps their unforeseen consequences of yeah. eliminating tribes at the Mouths rivers is there's wasteland yeah. that people haven't moved into yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the English are able to settle on that. Oh yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and with the free and clear as it were, they don't have to make necessary yeah. treaties. Yeah. Um, what can we discern of uh, approach to them at first
1: um, I, I think it's uh, a, a attitude of certainly caution um, but, but also wanting to see if there were advantages that could play um, play out for, for his mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. he is a little bit more distant physically distant because he's on the Pamunkey River and the English settle on the, the James and, and much of the First Poet War of 1609 to 1614 plays out along the James. There's hardly anything mm. going on on the Pamunkey River or York River. These are the two great rivers of the of the early um, colonial period, mm. the 17th century. So. Um, but, but um, he's clearly trying to find out more information. So both sides, both the colonists and the Indian peoples, want the same thing, in essence. They, they both want information. So the English are looking for the, for the gold mines and precious minerals in the interior. They know they're not on the coast. They know they're not at Jamestown. They must be in the Appalachians. They want information about that. Mm -hmm. Indian peoples and Powhatan and Opakankano want access to English weaponry, particularly Opakankano, because he'd seen it European weaponry in action. Mm -hmm. So that's what he was after, and information. Were more ships going to arrive? So they're they're watching one another very carefully. It's a Cold War, in other words. But then the,
0: the English um, partly kind of almost uh, shoot themselves, not just in the foot, but the head during the uh, 1609, um, almost wiped themselves out yeah. with a little assistance from the Powhatans. Yeah. Um, we won't get into all the details, but there's, a, there's all sorts of climactic changes. It's a terrible drought. Yeah. Basically, the only place that can raise corn are the native tribes around here. If they shut off the supply of corn, they shut off the lights yeah. for the English. Yeah. Somehow they recover, but then we're in the midst of this first Anglo-Powhatan War, yeah. which lasts till sixteen fourteen. Why? Why does it end? Why there's a period of peace afterwards, which we should discuss briefly. Yeah. Um, why does this first war end, and what's
1: behind this peace? Well, the the when the war ended, and it ends really because of the exhaustion of the Powhatan tribes along the James River. I, I would. I'd put it like that. Both sides were looking for a way out by 1613, 1614. Mm-hmm. And this is where the famous kidnapping of Pocahontas comes into play. She's taken back to Jamestown and marries a English gentleman, uh, John Rolfe. Um, so that's the excuse, really, that, that a sort of hostage giving. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and um, pro- probably from from. The Powhatan side, Pocahontas acts as a envoy, stroke spy, mm-hmm. uh, keep Powhatan the, the chief, great chief informed. But but if that was um, if Powhatan was either forced into a peace or chose peace, either way, it was disastrous for him, in my estimation, because I think that signaled the failure of. Powhatan to lead his people's effectively against the, the English and um, That um, would open the door for Opie Kankano to, to take over. So I think Opie Kankano in practice becomes the great chief even by 1614 at the very end hmm. of the war. Powhatan does survive for another four years, but um He dies in 1618, so it's a lot of detail here. But 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 the transition is uneasy in a way. So again, it's almost like a um, it's almost like uh, an attack on a a dynasty from one of the brothers who Mm -hmm. takes over because he's more of a strong man than than the original person in that position.
0: And for the English, this is um, it resuscitates all their. Most utopian hopes yeah. of the 1570s and the 80s that yeah. the I mean of of an Anglo-Indian sort of intermingling of, of yeah. blood yeah. Uh, an anti-Spanish alliance of Protestants yeah. Yeah. Um, all these things in, in an Edenic yeah. environment you yeah. know with a a river that makes the Thames look like a ditch Yeah. Um, yeah. you know this is this is fantastic
1: yeah this uh, this, this is it it couldn't get any better than this. Yeah. Uh, Because it corresponds with a period where the people in charge of the colony, the Virginia Company of London, had taken the view that what they wanted to um, develop in Virginia was a perfected English society. So all the imperfections of of the old world could be left behind. Mm -hmm. And in Virginia, here would be a place where even poor people could find work and... And, la- and land. And land, I mean, yeah. I mean, they have this, it's probably
0: an outrageous estimate that uh, for the boosters, that what, 10, 20% of England's homeless yeah, but a substantial, a, sur, sur, yeah. a substantial portion of the English yeah. population actually is literally homeless or tenantless, yeah, uh, yeah. a lordless as yeah. they would have said, masterless, masterless. <laughs> yes, um, so yeah. and here's a place where they can all have you know forty acres and a mule. Yeah. Well, not
1: a mule yet, but yeah, yeah mule, for, but, but forty acres, but maybe a cow or something. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah so so the. It's a, it's not a gold rush, uh, it's a land rush. Yeah. So as as the Virginia Company sh- started shipping over um, hundreds and hundreds of poor people to, to work the land for the Virginia Company, um, and ultimately with tobacco taking hold as the principal crop in the colony, so Indian peoples began to get pushed out of their traditional lands and prime lands, along the James River Valley. Mm-hmm. But peace does continue. Mm-hmm. And that, given the circumstances, is, is, gives hope to, to the English that all will all was going well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But and then we come to the events of 1622.
0: Very briefly, um, how does the war of 1622 end? and how does Opie Kankano survive to wage war for a third time <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like it's like yeah. it's like there is a, a it, i mean i don't want to be you know anti-german or anything but it's sort of like the third world war with germany again yeah In norm macdonald's famous words deciding that we want to fight the yeah. entire world
1: yeah. yeah yeah he doesn't go away that's, he does not go sure. away yeah um, although the english thought he had yeah. so the war the, it, it's um, a little bit more complicated than 1622 so 1622 is the great attack yes. of March 22nd but what follows is equally devastating because to the English because during the winter of 1622, 1623 probably more people died um, of starvation of disease at Jamestown and other settlements yeah. so um, the war continues on for through much of the 1620s. And on the and really in terms of various raids, uh, the Indian peoples would raid down the, the James River Valley, to some extent on the York, but the York still hasn't been settled uh, to any great extent until the end of the 1620s. So, and the... Uh, English are sending out militias against the Indian people. So it's a war of attrition, mm. trying, trying to, uh, on the one hand, starve out the English, but on the other hand, the English are trying to um, destroy the Indian peoples. It's brutal. And one thing we should emphasize here is just the extreme violence that, that takes place. It's extor- extraordinarily awful
0: violence. Yeah. Mass poisonings by the English against the, yeah. you know, planned mass poison that never come off by the Indians against the English and yeah. mass poisonings of the English uh, by the English of the Indians that do
1: come off. Yeah. Um, and the killing the of killing, the, men, women, children. Yeah. Everything. Entire villages, villages are yeah. wiped out. So it, it's total war. Yeah. It is. Uh, and that. Um, That has again. uh, It's it's very analogous uh, to what's going on in Europe at the exact same time. Yeah, in in terms of the religious wars, particularly, or the English in Ireland. Yeah. uh, Again, it's um, wipe them out, wipe them out from the land, and then create a barrier, a palisade across the peninsula so that you keep the Indians out. So it's segregation, kind of thing. And uh, so, um, Opie Kankano is. one of the victims of that poisoning mm-hmm. that takes place uh, shortly after, about well, 1623, uh, and disappears. And he is considered dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, apparently the English uh, company and soldiers maintained they saw him being shot and then carried, carried from, the, from the, the meeting they were at. Um, so he disappears for the best part of seven or eight years. And he doesn't come back until the early 1630s, and he um, he actually comes back as a peacemaker uh, in the early 1630s, and then bides his time again, most of that decade, um, yeah. yeah, through that decade and into the early 1640s. Now, one key aspect of Opekankeno is he had an Atlantic view. Mm-hmm. Uh, he understood that there were two sides to the Atlantic, both good and bad from his point of view, that if um, the English kept on going kept on coming to Virginia, they, they couldn't win. But maybe events in Europe or in England particularly, could play into his advantage. So this, is, this accounts for the third Great War. Uh, and the second of the mass attacks that he instigated, choreographed, um, in six, this one in 1644, which wiped out even more English settlers than the one in 1622. In terms of raw numbers? About 500. Yeah. Yeah. So 350 in 1622, about 500. Mm-hmm. We never get a sense of injured people. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, are, these are killed. Yeah. so there could possibly have been more damage. I
0: don't think that a lot of people were allowed to be wounded after these attacks I and mean, this is this is the kind of total war you know right. wounded or killed
1: yeah uh, and anyone that was wounded didn't last very long say exactly. exactly. yeah yeah um, so this uh, this third yeah. Poetan war this second great attack um, is pretty successful it, it it's dismissed by most historians. Yeah, as well. I dismissed it until I read this book. I yeah. mean, in the in the textbooks, even you know, and these are like these are specialist textbooks. Yeah,
0: it, yeah. it's dismissed in a two yeah. or
1: three sentences. Yeah. yeah, it is. And as as a you know, the last stand, the hopeless yeah. cause. But but in actual fact, he knew what he was doing. He was playing on the shortages that would follow from civil war in England because a civil war was taking place in England and he heard, he heard about that. Mm-hmm. I've, I just found that remarkable that remarkable. he was aware that the English were fighting themselves in England and then subsequently Scotland and Ireland, but they were fighting themselves and would probably pay less attention to what was going on um, in, in Virginia. And just to finish
0: this off, um, he is captured find this on this third time. He's a very old man. I reread Robert Beverly about this. Yeah. Um, and he's so old, they say that his, his eyelids droop down. I find this hard to believe. Yeah. And that he, people have to prop his eyelids yeah. open so that he can see. He's kept imprisoned just a few hundred yards from where we're sitting, probably even less. Um, and uh, he's at one point, he's aware that there are people gathered around him. And he asks to be allowed to see, and he chastises them yeah. for treating him like an exhibit. Yeah, um, yeah. At yeah. some point, a soldier who is, or a, a man with a gun who's standing guard at him yeah. decides to take his revenge and shoots yeah. him and kills yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of The Great Chief. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about evidence. Yeah. This is where mm-hmm. I've been dying to, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. because uh, yeah, yeah. long ago, back when I was, you know, reading um, as many back issues of the, as early from the William and Mary Cordley as I could go at Rhodes House in Oxford uh, yeah. to, to learn about you know yeah. Uh, yeah. American colonial history. Yeah. We read the fascinating, lovely, romantic tale, and in a sense of daring do of Don Luis, the, the theory yeah. that Don Luis was Opie but when I became an adult, when I became a man and put away childish things, <laughs> uh, I was right. told by anthropologists, stern yeah. anthropologists, that historians know nothing about how native peoples work, mm-hmm. and uh, that this is a ridiculous theory, mm-hmm. um, and it should be dispensed with, yeah. with these, these childish things, must be put away. Yeah. Um, before I had seen darkly, now I saw clearly with the austerity of social science, Yeah. and many reasons were given. Let me go through a few of them. Yeah. Um, First of all, um, Don Luis came from the Outer Banks, and if he came from the James River, which he probably didn't, uh, the Spanish didn't know where they were. Um, if he came from the James River, he came down from like College Creek, uh, which flows from Williamsburg. He mm. came from down farther down the James, not. Mm. He just comes from a different place than Opie Ken Can- 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 did. Mm-hmm. Um, Opie mm-hmm. Ken Canal, uh, when he's first mentioned in evidence in, in John Smith's account. Uh, he captures John Smith along the Chickahominy River. Yeah. Uh, John Smith has a compass, I think. Yeah. Um, and Opie was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa yeah. compass! Look at that. That's yeah. fantastic." Yeah. Um, is, and so, obviously, uh, if he was Don Luis, he wouldn't have been surprised at a compass. Mm-hmm. He had seen much greater marvels than that. Although, confusing enough, often that it, that same story is given is 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 treated as an invention by John Smith about about primitive natives. So it, yes. it's hard to figure out how that works. Um, Obican Canal was not always hostile to the English. Mm. Uh, Samuel Purchase says, describes him as very gracious. Mm. Um, so the idea of him having this inveterate hostility to all the, the mm. Europeans, eh, come on, that's mm. not the way he, he worked. Um, he couldn't possibly be that old when he uh, he couldn't be the same person because surely Beverly... And others mm-hmm. exaggerate his immense age. Mm-hmm. I mean, who could believe this? It's like um, it's like H. Rider Ry- uh, Haggard's story of Gagul the Crone from King Solomon's <laughs> Mines. I don't think, I, but that's what I think right. of when you right. think of him this this yeah. remarkably, immeasurably yeah. ancient person. Yeah. You know, this is just a projection on natives. Yeah. This is like a this is some sort of nativizing orientalist sort of yeah. fantasy. Um, the story of his southern origins. Um, what do they say about him? The, the Powhatans say that he came from the Southwest. Yeah. Um, yeah, All the West Indies. The way he fought his way all yeah. the way up. To, yeah. that just who could believe that? Yeah. If it refers to anything, yeah. it means that perhaps he came from south of the James, maybe into what we call North Carolina now. Yeah. That could be just that. But the idea that he came, to, who could believe that? And <laughs> finally, yeah. it's just a tactic of, of disownment. Robert Beverly in, in the 1690s, he heard these mm-hmm. stories from Powhatans. Um, this is just a way of saying, he wasn't really one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, he was from somewhere else. They're, they were basically disowning the memory of their ancestor. Mm-hmm. That's like, what, six, seven different sort of mm-hmm. points of evidence. How do we respond to this? Because mm-hmm. um, this, you have thought about little else probably for the last <laughs> three or four years. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So let's begin yeah. with he doesn't even he comes from the Outer Banks.
1: Yeah. Let's start with that. Um, absolutely no evidence for it. And I think that idea comes from a abortive attempt to get to the Chesapeake Bay in 1566 when his ship ship he's on um, ends up in the Outer Banks. Mm. Somehow they miss the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay. But it happens. But mm. absolutely. Absolutely no evidence for that. Uh, um, so,
0: but they don't. You know, it's important to point out that they don't drop him off at the outer banks and say,
1: "He doesn't say, 'Hey, I'm home.'" Yeah, right. I yeah. um, he doesn't recognize. I mean, the, the so a whole number of Jesuit accounts. Um, so, if we if we talk about the evidence yeah. in terms of several categories, one would be um, a whole number of Jesuit accounts. Half a dozen Jesuit. Accounts from describing this period, who Opican was, or Don Louis, I should say, mm-hmm. and um, what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what we do know is that uh, from that evidence, we know uh, the story of that Jesuit mission and its, its, its end, and we know that Don Louis is portrayed as, as the great betrayer mm-hmm. um, and apostate, uh, and so on. Wow, it's like recording in my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so we got that. we got the evidence of the Jesuits. More recently, evidence has come uh, from Spanish archives, particularly in Seville, that um, relate to his being taken in 1561, his name as Pacicineo, um, and the voyage that that took him back to Spain uh, and his going to Madrid that's where all that evidence comes how, from
0: how old is how well, that all evidence is kind of strange for listeners to think about 450 year old evidence that's fresh yeah. but how when was that uncovered
1: that was uncovered in the 1990s okay. by a scholar called Paul Hoffman um, uh, and i been looking at that also uh, and gleaning more from it. Um, But um, it's critical because Mm -hmm. it it gives a start date. So Mm -hmm. in other words, we're not looking at someone who could have been taken in the 1520s or 30s. There weren't many Spanish expeditions to the Chesapeake Bay after 1525. There was a ship in the 1540s but that was either French or English, and it's not until this expedition of 1561 that you, you get this young man being taken. And the fact that it was so important to the mariners who took him, I mean, he was a prize because he was the son or brother of the chief of that region.
0: Which, um,
1: by the way, is a
0: weird thing. Um, the idea that somehow they just randomly picked up a son of the chief in the region I, how, how, have we figured out how does that work out? I mean, well that, they, that, they, that
1: seems to me like yeah. a little odd. Yeah, it would be a little odd if it was. voluntary. Like, yeah um, well,
0: well no, I mean that might make it more sense. well let's hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, um, the idea that it, it, that they said to to this young man and possibly his father because in some accounts the chief is is there also, mm-hmm. we're going to take him back to Spain. this is going to be, and we're we'll bring him back and so on. I don't really accept that as very likely. I think it's much more likely that he and a a friend saw the the ship um, and were curious about it and were then captured. Mm -hmm. So I see him as being captured rather than being a voluntary... because he had no idea where,
0: where ah. they would be going. On the, but then on the other, hand, how would they know that he was the son of the chief? He
1: told them subsequently.
0: And told them yeah. subsequently. Okay. Yeah. They,
1: yeah. So they wouldn't have known that initially. Okay. But they might have picked him up to see if they could what say, Yeah. To uh, in the book I mentioned that this was common practice among mm-hmm. Spanish. They'd use the the young people's go betweens, cultural mm-hmm. go betweens. Same was true of poca hunters. Mm-hmm.
0: The English, Henry Spellman, Henry Spellman, uh, yeah, Savage. Henry Thomas, Thomas, George yeah, Savage, can't. George
1: Savage, I get whatever that. Thomas Savage, Henry Spellman. So, um, so we've got that evidence, and that is from the Spanish archives. And I don't see any reason why they they would be making that up or fabricating that. Okay. It's 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 a well established. So the. And the next point is is that they picked him up from the
0: Chickahominy, not from farther down the river. That's, that's your contention.
1: Yeah, I think uh, more important to me is where did when he returns in 1570,, right. yeah. uh, there's been a and this is true in a number of areas of history, a very authoritative, some would say, definitive study mm-hmm. of a, a topic becomes just the accepted um, uh, explanation uh, for, for, and subsequent historians repeat it in various ways for, Decades afterwards. We could give many examples
0: of this evidence, but we and we go to the footnote, oh well so and so says X says exactly what Y says. Yeah. And that's amazing. And then we look at the footnote, we say, Oh, they're quoting Y. Yeah. If they have a footnote, which is, you know, we're lucky if they do.
1: If if they do, and and sometimes it it takes you on a almost circular way. So I um I looked into the description of the voyage of the Jesuits to the Chesapeake Bay um, using those same Jesuit records and then looking at the distances that were travelled uh, because there are some quite complicated calculations that come into play. Well, do they give calculations? They give um, the uh, distances in terms of leagues. Sure, of course. Um, which was, you know, the standard. But, but it's a Spanish league, isn't it's it? It's a Spanish league. It's not an English league, it's not a French league, it's, not a, Ta- it's a Spanish league. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and when you multiply a Spanish league, I, mean, I was working, trying to standardize the miles, mm-hmm. but, you know, just keep sanity, um, that there isn't any argument that they would have ended up Establishing the mission in College Creek, mm-hmm. there's another reason why they wouldn't have gone there, um, and, and that is the water is brackish. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's very clear from the descriptions they went to a freshwater area. Mm-hmm. So you go up the Chickahominy River, uh, and you encounter fresh water up there. Yeah. So
0: I, um, well, you have to realize the Chickahominy was even bigger then. It's not. I mean, I just crossed to the headwaters today. I mean, driving down here and then again at the mouth. Yeah. But it's silted in tremendously
1: compared oh, to the way it used yeah, to be because yeah. of the tobacco. Yeah. I mean, and that's a heavily populated area. It's a very heavily populated. Area. And then we know from the Jesuit descriptions that the uh, the mission is taken out into a wilderness. That's mm-hmm. how they describe it. So I think they're led somewhere between the Pamunkey and Powhatan rivers, the James and the York, mm-hmm. to a spot where they were um, isolated, but where Don Louis Hopi-Kankano could get back to his own people relatively easily, which I think is what happened. And, who,
0: and his people would have been the Pamunkey.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, he
0: was not always hostile to the English. Well, you've got an entire argument. The whole book is about that, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it?
1: Well, I think we under... And I, and I think... This is, um, this is a kind of form of condescension. Mm. Uh, the great English historian E.P. Thompson wrote about the formation of the working class. He talks about the enormous condescension of the elite classes towards uh, working people. And I think colonisers, both then and uh, the... Uh, both really... Today even, it's it's very easy to be condescending towards these Indian peoples. And um, I, I think all those arguments that he would have known what a compass was, he would have known what an English lock he, he was there's descriptions of him playing with a literally a lock and key mm. a yeah, hundred times a day he sort of turning it in and out, and opening the door and closing. I think all these things are part of the colonizers' process of infantilizing the colonized. Mm. So it, it, it's it's that kind of a problem. maybe it was
0: just a new lock he hadn't seen before. It, it, may, it could it, be other it, too. It, it, well, it, it, I mean, possibly it, that. It, but it also, I mean, the, the, yeah. the idea that he, um, the idea that he wasn't lying, right is also infantilizing in its own way. Yeah. It's saying he can't be as subtle and devious as Cesare Borgia. Right. And I'm thinking, you kind of proved to me that Opie Cancanal is one of the more subtle and devious and interesting thinkers of his period. Absolutely, yeah. because of course he lies. Yeah, um, he, he lies he, all the
1: time. We know that um, based on the, yeah. on, the, on the obvious record yeah, that Opie Cancanal yeah. lies and And he's, he's just playing the English. He understands from his Spanish experiences the consequences of failure. Uh-huh. He can't fail. If he fails to keep the English out, um, they will become, as the Mexican Indians are.
0: But what about this fantastical story
1: of him being from the south mm.
0: or, or fighting through the Southwest? I mean, yes. surely that shows that uh, that this, this, there's a disownment process going on here or something yeah. like that. What, yeah. what do you make of that? Is that is that a garbled retelling just then of him just visiting Mexico? I all? think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, there are there are several instances of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just um, one source. Um, and I think that. Excuse me. Okay. Oh, let's get rid of that. I, I I don't I don't find it fantastical now that we know that Indians could travel uh, for trade or for war hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, I. Think that the... I tend to, in my estimation of, of evidence, if I've got contemporary evidence and if I've got more than one mm-hmm. source, then the question you have to ask yourself is why would I dismiss this? Mm-hmm. So we have a description from 1614 that um, that Powhatan came from and they do say the father of Powhatan actually, so it doesn't really co- correspond to Hopi but again we're looking at this through um, a lens that, that that could lead to misinterpretation. All this evidence comes from the English. Mm-hmm. So but but nevertheless there's a connection made with the Spanish West Indies. In, in that, mm-hmm. that's sixteen fourteen. So this is when Opakeno is still very much alive, and just about coming into the major position of paramount chief. Then we have uh, a description from early sixteen seventy seven um, that he fought his way up all the way up from Mexico. Then we have Robert Beverley. Mm-hmm. No other. No other Indian uh, attracts that those kind of descriptions none that I've come across mm-hmm. uh, apart from opikankana hmm. so given that he's the right age I would say the right age that comes from the, the right area that there are these descriptions of him and, and I uh, I write a whole section on this at the end of the book to present the evidence in one place to, to to the reader. It just seems to me very, very unlikely that that there were two Indians that had these parallel lives uh-huh. kind of thing. I, yeah. I, I don't
0: at, so, what, at what point did you become convinced of this? I mean, had did you change your mind in order to start this project? Or did you always thought, no, I think that there's some there's more there's some fire
1: there somewhere. Well, there's a, there's a several other historians have talked about him as a Paspahay Indian,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, which is uh, a, a tribe fairly close to where we are now at Jamestown. Uh-huh. Um, others have claimed he was from the uh, Kiskiak people, uh-huh. which is on the York River and corresponds to, to the uh, College Creek uh-huh. settlement area. I thought that once I had the Jesuits going further up the James River into Pamunkey or close to Pamunkey territory via the Chickahominy, that to me kind of clinched it. Mm-hmm. But also that description from um, 1677, the 40s, way all, all the way up from Mexico, because that. I could see the sequence whereby that information could have been gathered by the English. Sir William Barclay is the governor in 1644 when the attack is made, and he's still governor in 1646 when Opie is brought to Jamestown. They clearly had conversations, and I could see a scenario, no evidence of it, but I could see a scenario where they're talking to one another um, about about Oak Kankineau's life. Barclay is still the governor in
0: 1677,
1: mm-hmm. and he must have been the person who told uh, the royal officials about Oak Kankineau's exploits coming all the way up from Mexico. Um, to me, that kind of clinched it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't just relying on a single source, Robert Beverly, historian of the late 17th century. I had this other source, which is fairly close. I mean, it's 30, 30 years after the death of Opakankano, but mm-hmm. that's not so long in Indian oral history, right? So I I, I think if you put it all together
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and discount the condescension and look at the tactics that Opakankano was employing, um, Lulling the English into a sense of false security before sixteen twenty two, and again before sixteen forty four, playing nice. He did it twice. Yeah, maybe three times.
0: Yeah. Actually, with that we know of in three Anglo-Powhatan wars. Yeah, and then we just I, I, I made a big uh, exclamation when you mentioned it in regard to the Jesuits. It happens the same thing happens with the Jesuits, which yeah. is very interesting. Yeah. That they're killed with their weapons. They're yeah. lulled into a false sense of security. Yeah. Um, what we've got here, then, we've got an insight into the psychological of an individual. We have two very similar psychologies yeah. at work here. Yeah. Could they be the same individual? That's yeah. what I, you know, begin to think. I think so. Yeah. yeah
1: because he, the, the tactics that he adopts, which are admired actually by the governor at the time of the uh, Great Attack of 1622, um, Sir Francis Wyatt, his father, a soldier in the in the Netherlands, Spanish Netherlands wars, um, ad, ad, admired Opie Kankano you for, for, for the way he tricked the English. Well, he's the one that calls him the, the, the brave and cunning prince, isn't yeah. it? What, no, oh, that's, uh, that's Beverly. What? That's yeah. Beverly, does. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. But he talks about porn mate, to the, the, uh, an attack where it's least looked for. Yeah. Um, and uh, the porn, porn mate beam. is yeah. very nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So a checkmate with the pawn, and, and the English had completely underestimated Opicancana. Yeah. And I thought, well, so have historians. Uh-huh. Um, I think that, to me, it's disappointing seeing historians just accepting anything the English say um, that that seems to prove. Uh, that he it's was not
0: listening. just. I mean, this is this is. I'm gonna be. I'll say this. Uh, if we looked at the Encyclopedia of Virginia article on Opie Cane Canal, it's written by an eminent anthropologist who spent her life studying the Powhatan peoples as they are. And Helen Roundtree is the one who convinced me that this must be false. Right. So it's not just the English. This is a sort of, in, a, in an interesting yeah. way, there's a way in which, um, here's how I would put it. The anthropological method was more persuasive to her. Yeah. Than datums of historical evidence are to a historian. Yeah. So I think what we've got a very interesting thing is we have two different types of two streams of evidence. Yeah. And two different ways of this is thinking and seeing. Yeah. To get back to the, what the podcast is about, um, and you, you have yours, and Helen has hers. Yeah. And they come. You come to different conclusions. Yeah. About how to address the evidence. Her evidence, as an anthropologist, is, is dressed. I mean, we haven't gotten into the matrilineal stuff um, and the matrilineal connections because, uh, and I find that hard to understand. <laughs> to, be yeah, not, yeah. to be honest, yeah. Um, yeah. but that's uh, based on, uh, on her, uh, and as an anthropologist, looking at other similar peoples as well, yeah. and then trying to play that against how the Powhatans were in yeah. six uh, in sixteen oh seven. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, we've got these. Sources, Jesuit sources, you know, dug up in the in the nineteen nineties, yeah. which are, I think, uh, are still relatively unknown.
1: The Jesuit sources um, actually are much older than that. Yes, so. I know. They, but they, they've been when they, when they came into sort of modern ken. Yeah, that was probably nineteen fifties. Okay, there you yeah. Go. Um, but the sources, the the recent Sorry. material, yeah, from the nineteen uh, nineties. But yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, uh, history is about different interpretations. Uh, and so do I find Helen Roundtree? I, I admire her work. I think she's done terrific work on the Powhatan people. And like you, I was an admirer of hers, um, an admirer of hers. But I disagree yeah. with her interpretation. And I feel that... Um, her emphasis on the anthropological blinds her to the historical evidence. Yes, that's right. Uh, and so um, it, it, there's a question here as to, well, h- how do I come at this in terms of am I right? Yeah. Uh, and for me, it, with, with history, it's always been an issue of probability uh, because it's you're never going to get 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's 100% certain, This is definitive. There's no other possibility whatsoever. But if I can get to maybe 70, 75%, uh, so is this more likely or, or less likely? That's the way I well, and you it. Got, and you got that way when you figured out what the length of the Spanish league was. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I think it's that, so two things really for me guide it. I tend to follow the contemporary evidence, mm-hmm. um, unless there's very obvious reasons not to. Mm-hmm. It's how you read that. So someone like John Smith, of course he's going to portray Indian peoples as... Um, uh, he's not an anthropologist, so he's, he's portraying them as, as, as rather straightforward, simple people. He might admire them in certain ways for, for their muscularity and mm-hmm. their ability to live off the land, but, but they're, they're not Europeans. And they don't have religion, they don't have writing, they don't have proper armaments. But um, that, that's understandable, I think, that he would do that. So you read it that way. So you have to read the evidence in a certain way. And that's your own judgment, actually, it seems to me. But I tend to follow that, that those primary sources. And then the second thing is convergence. Do a range of sources, maybe from, from different archives or different approaches, could be mm-hmm. material uh, artifacts such as we have here at Jamestown, do they help us come to a conclusion? That's the way I've always come at it. My
0: guest today has been James Horn. He's the author, most recently, of A Brave and Cunning Prince, The, dra- the Great Chief obi Canal and the war for America. Jim, thanks so much for being part of Historically Thinking.
1: Well, pleasure. Yeah, thanks Al.
0: Just a brief reminder. If you're listening to Historically Thinking on the website, that's great. But for your convenience, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Geo Podchaser, TuneIn, Deezer, and there are more. In fact, wherever there are podcasts, there you can find Historically Thinking. While great reviews are wonderful on whatever platform you want to write them, the best possible review that you can give us is to forward the podcast to a friend you think will find it interesting.